0: You're listening to The Worlding Podcast, where we explore the relationship of how we are both, shaping and being shaped by our surroundings. The podcast traces interconnections by inviting each episode's guest to pass on the mic to someone who has influenced their world. And now, here's your host, dance artist Renee Schadler. Welcome to The Welding Podcast, where today we continue the fifth series with my guest Milla Koistinen, a Berlin-based choreographer and dancer who was born and raised in a small cabin in the Finnish forest. This has informed her dance works, which often evoke a feeling of spaciousness and calm in the spectator. Today we will focus on rhythm and how certain environments linger inside of us, even after we have physically moved on. Hi, Mila. Thanks so much for coming on to the show. Hi, thanks for having me and thanks to Sandra for the invitation. To open our conversation into worlding, I would love to hear more about your experience growing up in the Finnish forest.
1: So we lived in this small house in the middle of nowhere, having close neighbors two kilometers away from us. And there were no street lights, so in the winter, the biggest source of light outside was moon and stars and northern lights. and this all sounds very romantic. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and then in the summer, again, we, we had so much light that it never got dark. So there was also this big shift in the seasons mm. and in the light
0: as well. And how has that been now? coming to Berlin, this urban center, has there been a big transition in the rhythm of the days for you? It is, but of
1: course, this has also been sort of a, kind of a long transition from the forest to a big city. So there has been other steps on the way, like coming a bit more to to south, and then again, a bit more to the south and, and so on. And I mean, the distance is not that huge i mean of course there is a difference but i mean it does get dark here as well so but i'm still i'm surprised every time i go back there to my parents in the winter time that how dark it is actually there or again like in the summer how light it is so it takes me a bit of time to adjust into this
0: Mm. and how has that rhythm continued in the dance works you're making I think it's maybe a, a seasonal thing, but
1: then there's also this kind of different kind of tempo from my childhood when when things were slower and and there was a lot of time to explore and and just be. This was, of course, also a time before internet or all this technology that surrounds us at the moment. So it feels like a really a different time back then and also not having so many people around me Besides my parents and my sister, so there's a very different kind of energy and buzz in the in the city than there and I think this is um, this place where where I grew up and um, and uh, spend a lot of time that has definitely um, had a huge impact on on me as a person and also on my artistic work. It took me quite a long time to to perhaps realize that. There was this interview some years ago from a journalist um, to Erbebe, and he was kind of assuming that since I come from Finland and there's a lot of space and less people and people are very silent, and, I mean, these are complete stereotypes, he assumed that that's why my work is so calm and repetitive and minimal. And I sort of thought back then that, okay, this is very funny. And it's funny to assume that, but then it, it kind of stick with me. And I, I thought, okay, uh, maybe in my case, that is actually true that that has, or that has had this impact on me, or it still has this effect on me and on my work as well, that it's very visible in it. And yeah,
0: maybe that's something that I've carried with me since, since the childhood. Mm. It's a really interesting intake, I think, on worlding because we've been discussing a lot during this series, the present situation mm-hmm. that we're in. So as you mentioned, the light, perhaps it's the light in your apartment or the light on a train as you're listening to this podcast. But it was through our discussions, Miller and I, that I also was reflecting on my own childhood mm-hmm. I'm from Australia. And I grew up in a small coastal town on the beach. So I would literally walk from my house along the beach to my high school and back. And it's for me, the ocean, like this ebb and flow of the tide is something that I hold on to. Mm -hmm. For me, it was very much a rhythm of movement, like constant movement. And then my experiences in Finland, uh, spending time like hiking and things was very much the birch and the pine trees were very stationary, actually. There was, of course, a movement in the leaves, but there was a groundedness that came through. How are you working with stillness in your work? It's kind of something just now I was interested in, in thinking about the different types of environments we spend time in and are raised in
1: mm-hmm. yeah for sure i think it's maybe not or hasn't been at first a conscious choice to create or like making this connection between the the environment and and the movement that it would come from there but yeah it's it's true when you mentioned that and also the area where i'm from it's very flat there's basically no hills uh, no elevation so that I think also like creates a certain kind of stillness that, that there is not that many changes in the landscape. I mean, there are, but, but yeah, it's really lacking this kind of, yeah, elevation. And I think for me, what is important in the, in the movement or, or in my choreographic work to, to find this like stillness, or I would say maybe it's more like a slow transformation rather than a full stillness, but there is this very slow transformation that then creates a lot of space for the spectator to to find their place in it and observe things in the space and observe the movement, but maybe also observe themselves. And also that this slow transformation, it invites the the spectator to surrender to this calmness, I would say.
0: Mm, there's a really beautiful interplay actually with time, like a weaving of ideas. Yeah, what does it take to surrender? <laughs> I mean, it's a really interesting question actually. And when do you feel that you've reached that point of surrender? <laughs> I often feel, I think, you know, I think some people you know, we go to a yoga class or we do a meditation and there is that moment where you're like, I'm surrendering, I'm relaxed. And then maybe 15 minutes later, you're like, ah, (laughs) "Ah, whoa, that was it. You know, I I think that's interesting, like where where that line is. And for every spectator and every other lived situation, I think it's different depending where you are. Hmm. I wanted to have a look into terrain, your thirty minute immersive installation for one visitor at a time, because in that work you were inspired by different landscapes and co created the experience with the visitors. Could you tell us a little bit about that process
1: sure terrain is it 's an artistic collaboration together with the sound designer, Paul Walikowski and visual artist, Ladislav Tsaiets. And this is a project that we started already before the pandemic. And we were planning a long installation for groups of people who would uh, then like overlap and and eventually also like all these groups would spend time in the room and that they would go through uh, uh, these different landscapes and finally come together. But then the pandemic happened and, um, and we started to rethink the work and, and see like what is actually doable. And we reduced and reduced and reduced until the moment that there was only one visitor left. <laughs> so we thought that this is actually a COVID safe performance. And also that now is really actually a chance to try something like this, that it's only for one person at a time. And, um, so it became like a, a solo wanderung, a slow walk through different landscapes, a city, a forest, or a bog, or it could be anything. And um, we use these like um, kappa plates, like huge. They're like two by three um, kind of cardboard white plates. We have, I think, 16 of them, and they create a sort of a, a labyrinth in the space the light design comes from slide projectors so they only project a light that constantly transform the space and creates a different kind of lights that could maybe like associate towards a different time of the day or a different season and and then we also use kind of different triggers like our bodies and sounds and objects and maybe words that hopefully trigger something in the spectator and i think the original aim was to to create sort of a, an atmosphere or mood of a of a long walk or a long hike that goes through um different landscapes but it's it's very abstract and i think it's also very open for um interpretation of each person also depending of course like where they're coming from and how are they feeling and what they feel like doing in the space so it's also a very open proposal so there's no uh no instructions really what they should do or should not do in the space but there is this 30 minutes that they can spend in the room and and be there and there's in the beginning and in the end there's a moment when they are fully alone and in the in the kind of middle part we have like two or three of us are not performing but coexisting in the room with the with the visitor and we try to be very receptive and observe how the visitor is and how they react. And for example, if they propose a little bit more and want to interact more, we perhaps go with that. Or if they wish to be a little bit more on their own, we also respect that and give them more space. And it's been very interesting for us also these slots that we have done because they have all been very different from one another and all the visitors were very very different so i think we always like had a new piece going on so we also like because we ran it like i don't know maybe sometimes 8 hours per day so that was quite many uh many times that we did it so it was kind of first of like yeah, how how do we manage to do this marathon and what is it going to be but then it was always so different so it became kind of a very exciting trip for us also with the visitors
0: Mm, I think that sounds very much also coming back to the idea of worlding, this reciprocity of shaping and being shaped by your surroundings, because of course, every audience member has the same structure by the sound of it with these Mm -hmm. different colours and different propositions. But actually, it's also what you carry with you, of course, which shifts that space enormously was there anything that really surprised you during these experiences
1: (laughs) let me think was there something really surprising I mean there were maybe sometimes moments that we were kind of (laughs) wondering that did the person who was at the door letting them in did they say something different uh Because there was just this like that there was such a huge difference or like sometimes that people really stayed in the outskirts and didn't go in. um, Or it took a long time for them to enter and then like how to try to lure them in, like really inside to the installation. Uh, So maybe like things like this, but I mean, there was nothing that dramatic. Of course, there were like also funny moments when people really started to interact or... or, um, expected us to also then react or started to test, like, how much do we actually react?
0: Yeah, exactly. Stepping over borders, where are the invisible rules of the space? Exactly. Interesting. (laughs) You mentioned also the slide projectors. And I know that was also a part of one of your earlier works, On a Clear Day, a solo you created in 2016. And in that work, you were working closely with the Canadian-born painter Agnes Martin. Could you also share a little bit this influence on colors and how Agnes has also been shaping your work through her paintings? Mm-hmm. This was a, another collaboration together with um,
1: with Ladislav Tayač. So the slide projectors. I think this was the first piece, then like where he started using using the slide projectors and the light in that way. And when I started to work on, on this series of works inspired by Agnes Martin and her paintings and her ideas about art and life, when we had the talks with Latsy, he also said that, okay, we should, I think, like go more towards kind of light colors and and there like try to propose this similar um, Color scheme, what Agnes Martin used in her paintings, and I thought that was a, that was a good idea because there were some some of the group works that I did before, and they were like i think like color wise or or there was not really color it was more like just bright light or or white light uh, just to expose the movement, but then I think also stay, they stayed like kind of on this more darker side and also with the with the sound that I had there. So then when we started with Paul and Lutzi on this piece, we, we really tried to like go more towards this like lighter, lighter atmosphere as in the, in the paintings as well. And Agnes Martin, she was and is a, is a very big inspiration for me, and I find myself coming back to her quite often and still now. Um, she was a beautiful... Beautiful artist, uh, and I also now like just had to kind of really listen to her voice before we started this talk because I think it's just so so nice to listen to her. And she um, defined herself as um, an abstract expressionist rather than a minimalist. And I think, well, her earlier works they were not as abstract as the, the, the later ones. And also like in this documentary, she speaks about how it took her about 20 years to find this abstract and this perfection that she was looking for. And in the later works, she uses a lot of lines and grids and fields of colors and kind of this pastel, pastel colors in many of them. And she was a very, very disciplined uh, artist and I think painted like every day and also very much enjoyed the painting and this process. And she lived alone in this tiny hut somewhere in New Mexico and just dedicated her days into, into painting. And she was a, she was a funny, <laughs> funny character. Um, and also, like, when she, when she did the paintings, she first made them in a, in a small scale before, like, starting to paint them in this big canvas. And if she felt like, okay, the painting wasn't quite exactly right, she destroyed the painting and restarted the whole thing and I think was constantly editing and editing and editing until she was happy with the, with the work. And there was also the story of when she was already on her deathbed and um, her close friend and, and curator was there and she said, okay, there are these paintings in my, in my studio and you have to go. And there are, I think like there were maybe three which were, like she said, keep those and the rest you destroy. And he went there and he was like, but these are perfect. Like, I can't do this. But then I was like, okay, this is what she wants. So I just have to have to go with this uh, <laughs> wish of hers and, and do
0: it. I actually was privileged to see one of her works at MoMA uh, in New York called Friendship. Mm-hmm. And it was from 1963, so I can't really remember where exactly in her trajectory that was. I think it was one of the earlier works and what really drew me in was, as you said, it was a grid which she uses a lot Mm -hmm. over gold leaf and it's quite a large-scale painting but it was so memorable because All the lines were drawn by hand, which really, for me, it's exactly that perfectionist, like how similar you could get this grid. But there was a real focus on the process for me in standing in front of it that I could feel her presence in the work, like she was there with her ruler and (laughs) measuring the (laughs) millimetres and... For some reason, like standing in front of, you know, I have gridded paper in my notebook, for example, and I never stare at it in the same way as you do when something is done with that intention. So I feel, yeah, that really resonates when you talk about the perfectionist. I think it's very present in her work. Yeah, there's a really nice
1: quote, and I had to dig it out before this talk, She says, I hope I have made it clear that the work is about perfection as we are aware of it in our minds, but that the paintings are very far from being perfect, completely removed, in fact, even as we ourselves are. And I thought this thought also was kind of very forgiving and comforting in this process when I was working on the solo, that there is this repetitive movement that I I was working with. And trying to make those transitions from one movement to another as as perfect as I could. But then also yeah, exactly remembering this like <laughs> kind of a tiny shake in the hands that you can see in her paintings, like when she was doing the, the lines and the grids, and then like having this like, okay, yes, like we try to make it perfect, but that's also what makes it so beautiful that that it's not the machine uh moving here or or that there is yeah, there was this human touch in it. And I think that exactly is the thing that makes the paintings or her her work very emotional because you see the the person in it as well.
0: Mm, I think that also continues this conversation around slowing down and time because there is also something in choosing to hand draw a grid (laughs) instead of using a machine that actually takes more time. And I would be curious in how recreating these longer time frames happens within your process and also the pieces you create. And then how do spectators deal with that? (laughs) Because now we are so used to the faster processes of machinery and information learning. Like it's very quick. A lot of things are at our fingertips how is it to sit through one of these performances <laughs> or, I don't know, stand in front of a Agnes Martin painting? <laughs> I think it's something, again, about this surrendering. And,
1: and, I mean, of course, it, I think, also needs the right set of mind and that you are in that space that you can kind of take the time or, like, just say, like, okay, this is a, a slow slow thing now and can I slow down with it and um, can I allow myself to to be here just for this I mean still relatively short time and to observe and see what happens and I think it's for sure challenging for many people (laughs) sometimes so there's not yeah in my work there's not a lot of fast cuts or no fireworks and Nothing that spectacular happening, but it's more about this, this process and this transformation, and slowly, like, I think, peeling something out and hopefully also like revealing something. I'm trying to like provide these spaces, offer a projection surface for the people to, to maybe like find their associations and also maybe like find something from themselves in the work. And I think this takes time and it uh, takes patience to, to get there. Um, And I think also like in the, in the works that I do, it's, it's okay to drift. Sometimes it's sometimes okay to, to drift away and, and think about something else or observe something else in the space. And then you come back and something has changed and then you get back in. And then again, like it might take you somewhere else and, your mind might take you somewhere else. And then again, like, so I think there's like possibility for this kind of um, fluctuation, I would say.
0: Mm. Expanding that also into the more than human world of the theatre, so kind of inviting also perhaps the dust mites that move because the lamps get turned on, or as you were talking about the slide projections that's also creating a certain rhythm in the space how do you incorporate these different agencies within the work
1: it's been very important for me to to consider the space we are in and not try to er- erase the space even if it's if it's a black box or or sort of a, a theater space that we are used to so i think also I have worked with um, or collaborated with other artists who also like kind of acknowledge the space and and that we try to also give time for the space. So it's not only about the bodies in the room. It's also about the light and it's about um, the walls and also what's outside of the, the walls. And uh, it's about the sound. So, so I think there are also like this kind of slowness and stillness comes from also these kind of thoughts that we should also give time for these other elements to, to exist in the room, and that we also try to create a space where the spectator can also observe those, so it's not only only the bodies that take over.
0: Miller, is there a way that listeners can experience some of your research around rhythm and different landscapes through their body, perhaps a movement score that you could guide us through?
1: Sure. So we did this score for the solo piece on a clear day. We were supposed to perform it last winter as part of Schrumpf, which is a series uh, led by Daniela Strasvogel, And she takes existing works, which have been more maybe designed for adult audience or performed in the evening times, maybe when, when children don't have the access there and so she takes these these works and then brings them um, and shapes them a little bit for children audience. and we were supposed to perform the piece but then um, then we couldn't and I said, I don't really see this work uh, functioning on a video in in any way like most of my my pieces really don't work on on video and all these like digital formats I said like you know, I think we have to think about something else. So we created a booklet where there is a score of the solo and uh, nice illustrations. And then we also have a, a sound file that people can listen to and, and follow the score and do it themselves. So I thought that we could maybe do, do this and I guide you through it and you can do it now or you can do it another time if something stays with your... So, we start by standing still. And you can just observe your breathing for a while. And then we shift the focus to listening. Listening to the room where you're in or if you are outside, what you hear outside and then we start moving as little as possible and gradually we start to let the movement grow and growing it a little bit more and a bit more And while you're doing that, you could think of something that makes you happy. And you can just keep on moving. And then you could maybe talk this thought what makes you happy, but without making any sound. And slowly we start to bring the movement down. So we make it smaller and smaller and smaller. So that we are still again. And then I would ask you to make a joyful movement. And then you repeat that movement exactly the same way as you did it at first. And again. And again. As often as you can. Good. And once you're done with that, you could think of something beautiful. Beautiful. And then be as light as a feather. And be alone for a while. And if you are outside, you could look at the sky. And if you are indoors... Maybe just close your eyes and imagine what would you see if it would look at the sky. And we stand still again and think of nothing.
0: Thank you. The images are very clear, actually.
1: Yeah, it was it was nice to go back to this when, when I was doing it last winter, because it was a while since I did the solo. And then I started to think, like, okay, what was actually, what was the score and what were the things related to Agnes Martin that I wanted to bring into this score?
0: Wonderful. And can people find the book somewhere?
1: Yes, it's on the website of, I think it's called loudsoft.de, Schrumpf. So I think there's still um, a link to it and I'm not fully sure if it's somewhere still that one can order it, but at least one can see the images of it There.
0: Perfect. I can also put the link in the show notes for this episode. So wherever you're listening to this, click on the show notes and there will be a link there to continue the score and see more. Miller, who are you recommending to continue this conversation, this string figure, passing the baton on from Sandra Blatterer, the lighting designer and visual artist that you collaborate with quite closely and now finalizing this string figure with your recommendation. I will pass this on
1: to Cina Bernd, who is a dramaturg, and uh, I think you will have a great time talking with her and listening to her.
0: I'm looking forward to it. Thank you so much for contributing to the research and the worlding project. I hope you have a wonderful day. Thank you. You too. Thank you for listening to the Worlding Podcast. Gefördert durch die Beauftragte der Bundesregierung für Kultur und Medien im Programm Neustart Kultur. Hilfsprogramm des Tanzen des Dachverband Tanz Deutschland.